0: In his new film, Reprise, our guest today, Joachim Trier, tells a postmodern 20 something coming of age tale about the ifs, whats, and why nots that both drive and haunt us as the unbridled hopes of youth come to a screeching halt. Reprise, which marks the feature film debut of Trier, won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay at Norway's National Film Awards. It will open in West Los Angeles this Friday, May 16th at the Landmark Theater. Joachim Trier, welcome to film school.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. How
0: are you doing today?
1: I'm well, thank you. It's been quite a mad couple of weeks going to do press and promotion for a priest first in New York and now in L.A., but but I'm enjoying it.
0: Are we treating you all right in L.A.? Then? Oh,
1: absolutely. It's <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm, and, you know, it's it's a town with a lot of film fans. <laughs> so it's me being an old film buff. It's great to, to come here and speak to people.
0: Have you seen any films in L.A.?
1: Not while I've been here. I watched um, a documentary on Fellini the other night, and that's been it. basically. Ah. I've been all busy (laughs) doing various things.
0: Well, that's great. Thanks for taking your time out to speak with us, and it's a wonderful film. We really both enjoyed it. The story is wonderful, but the structure and the editing here seem exceptional. Did you decide on the style before you did the film, or did the film suggest the style to you? Um,
1: a bit of both, actually. I co-wrote the film with my a longtime collaborator, Eskil Fogt, who is an old friend of mine as well. And uh, I think we've both been very curious to explore film form. And I think we got sort of one foot firmly placed in a, in a more sort of European art house tradition, particularly of the 60s, and, and another foot um, in, in a more commercial, you know, growing up with a lot of more American movies and different kinds of genre movies. So we're curious to explore character Stories, but also to play around with the form and how to tell it. And I think for this film particularly, we wanted to mirror the kind of mindset of these uh, young people in their early 20s and this kind of uh, this schizophrenic scattered, you know, going from one subject to another and mixing emotions. And, and we wanted the editing and the structure of the film to sort of mirror their state of mind.
0: There's one scene there especially I pick up on that is when uh, Philip is uh, walking into that party changes the music, and and the whole scene shifts immediately because of the music. I think you're doing some soul music, and you suddenly break into some punk, and the party changes, and the mood changes.
1: Yeah, thanks. I think we're interested in exploring a musical, rhythmical side of cinema, and I think we're very interested in how various emotions can be mixed. It's very Mm -hmm. easy to get a bit emotionally conservative when doing uh, character drama and, you know, have Judge people, or have good and bad things happen, and we we wanted it to stay a bit in the gray zones in a way and explore yeah. the ambivalence of things so and I think music comes into that actually music makes it or or makes it possible to change between feelings when when making films i 've found
0: yeah, exactly, well, it certainly worked in that scene there 's a technique or a device you use, I should say in the film where uh Philippe counts down yeah. he he counts down and and when he starts at ten, he gets to zero. He believes something's going to change, or he makes something change. Is that something uh, you just came up with on a whim, or is that something you've tried yourself? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I think we all have little superstitions <laughs> or little tricks that we we do with ourselves. So, you know, whether it's uh, touching wood or, or things like that. You know, uh-huh. but this actually came from my co-writer and a friend of his in, in France that he knew that had this sort of. Um, how do you say it in english a compulsive yeah. uh, mental or almost a psychological problem that has ah. to do with having to do certain rituals and we wanted to to look at that as a metaphor as well i mean in a strange way the the film i think is a lot about people who aren't able to experience the presence or or being there you know it's a yeah. lot about people dreaming of the future or longing for some sort of past. This counting down is almost a sort of a, even though it's portrayed as also at some point a kind of a dangerous thing that he does, yes. it's, it's also kind of counting down to a sort of a, an idea of a present, if you see what I mean. Well, it, it's,
2: mm-hmm. a, it's a, it seems like he's trying to uh, assert control in a situation over which he has no control, and it's his, it, this is his way of doing that. True, yep.
1: true. But there, there, it's that, and it's also at some point a romantic gesture, as yeah. he says, if Kari. When he's met his his uh, to be girlfriend at a at a concert and looks at her, and he says, "If she turns around and looks at me before I count down to zero, well, uh-huh. I know it's going to be us and uh-huh. and she does yeah so and reality has Aspects of magic as well,
2: <laughs> and you I think that's the point at which I fell in love with her as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. She, oh,
1: it's the Victoria w- winger plays Carrie, and it's her first film. It's the first time she's in front of a camera, and, and I think she's done very well. I'm very happy that she wants to be in the film.
2: No, she she's terrific. I'll, I'll call her beguiling. It'll be my word. For her. <laughs> okay. She was, she was that all of that. So uh, cut it out, Mike. I know.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> what was she doing before before she got into film? A lot of things.
1: She comes from an interesting family background. Her her mother is a is an actress. Her father, um, Stein Winger, is an internationally renowned theater and opera director. So she certainly knew about the craft of acting. But she'd done a little bit of training in acting school. She's also been a, a fashion model for a while in London, and she's a singer in a band. So she's a Renaissance woman. We could maybe call her um, a person who could do several things. And. And now she the reprise. She's been in a couple of other films, but amongst uh, them uh, a very uh, interesting Norwegian slasher genre. It's a horror movie called Cold Prey. Really? And, uh, yeah, no, she's done completely different parts, and she's doing very well. So I'm okay. glad to, to
2: see that. Well the, well, the two actors who play Eric and Philip, uh, did. how much of a background in, in acting did they have? It seems that you uh, have a theme here of pulling people in who may not have been... Well-known actors, certainly, but maybe not even actors.
1: True, true. For Eric and Philip, the characters, we had Anders Daniels and as Philip and uh, Espen Klaumann-Heuner as Eric, both of whom had had done little, small parts when having been younger. Anders, who plays Philip, was in a children's movie when he was nine called Herman (laughs) and has since uh, become a doctor. So he was in the, he was in his last year of uh, medical studies as he had to sort of take leave and go do reprise and uh, Espen has done a bit he's now he, he the guy that plays Eric is now in in the national theater school after reprise and has enrolled there and will continue to act for sure
2: so he'll he will stay a doctor he's n- no interest in pursuing a career in acting It's
1: kind of interesting i mean he I think he will do occasional parts he's quite picky, <laughs> so I feel very honored that he wanted to do this with us he's a he's a good, very, very talented. I, I, he, we're good friends now. He's doing well as a doctor, and he's just graduated now from, from his studies and is starting that career. But uh, there are rumors that he might be doing some work in a TV series that's made by very interesting directors.
0: In uh, Norway? Yeah, it's,
1: huh? uh, yeah. Uh, it's a screenwriter called Thomas Torjusen, who's going to do, uh, direct a uh, um, TV series. That's supposedly quite experimental and, and interesting. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting thing.
0: But do you have any idea what it's about?
1: I don't know, to be honest. Uh. I don't know. But <laughs> I just hear rumors it's it's a promising uh, piece of mm-hmm. television.
0: Oh, very good. We're speaking with Joachim Trier. The film is Reprise. And you mentioned your writing partner, Eskiel Vogt. Yeah. You were... Four years in, uh, in writing this, uh, was that uh, intensive work or did you come up with ideas and let them just kind of float out for a while and let them be and then come back to it? How'd, how yeah, what- did the writing process go?
1: I think it was a bit on and off. I mean, he was still in film school in Paris, and I, I was I was graduating from the National Film and TV School in London, and we were writing a different film as well at the same time, and I had started doing a bit of commercials work to make some money after film school, you know. Um, so, I mean, I think we did other stuff as well, but certainly we, we spent a lot of time on reprise, and I think we learned how little is needed for a feature-length film in terms of material. We came up with about ten times too much material before we actually <laughs> wow. made the structure. And I think we should have started the structural work sooner. Having said that, though, the good thing about having had this long period of of coming up with ideas and exploring the characters and, and, and having so many characters, I think is that we ended up having a lot of material that we could use when we had gotten the actors' cost. You know, we could, I could give all the side characters at least sort of 30, 40 pages of extra scenes that they could <laughs> read about their characters that never made it into the final script so that they could learn and look. I, I think doing good character work is you should only see the tip of the iceberg, but there should, should be a lot more material and background story there you know, just for the to create a certain energy and a certain mm. knowledge uh, amongst the actors of, of why they're doing what they're doing and who they are as characters.
0: Have you considered doing that again in, in your next film, giving more information than you're going to uh, film for uh, the characters?
1: I think yes. As we are writing the next one at the moment, I, I find that... Sometimes it's very good to go on detours in that process of screenwriting, and, and detours are always valuable. Whether you decide not to go that way, you'll bring something back with you that you could use at some stage in the process. And I'm, I think both Eskil and me are, are quite a, a, obsessed with details, and, and we find it that there's a lot of energy and, and hu- you know a lot of humor comes out of details, or details of characters, or details of, of the places they're in, or, or any kind of detail, really. <laughs>
2: well, yeah. it, it works in this film because there is the, they're the group of friends who Eric and Philip hang out with, and they are vivid characterizations. I think they, they the actors have done a good job of bringing that energy that you talked about. But I wanted to ask you, filmmakers sometimes will will rehearse a lot for a film. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll ha- there'll be a lot of rehearsal time leading up to the actual film uh, shooting of it or they'll just bring the actors in and they sort of work organically as the film progresses. Uh, do you have a preference, or did you work with any of those, either one of those methods?
1: I mean, first, I have to say I don't have one method. I, mm-hmm. I try to meet, as we were in this film, especially mixing complete non-professional and amateur actors with very well-schooled and, and professional actors, I really needed to meet them where they needed to be met, if mm. you see what I mean. I, yeah. I needed to to um, find ways of working with them as individuals mm. rather than to do a method on all of them. But having said that, I think we did the rehearsals, and some of those rehearsals weren't about making each of the scenes from the script peak, you know, and making them mm. great. It was more about doing maybe alternative scenes that weren't in the script or or making doing exercises and trying improvisational work, which I don't believe in on set so much. I believe in um, improvisations, particularly with amateurs, can become very general Mm -hmm. rather than specific and thereby not so interesting. But I think it it brought a certain energy and it also gave us ideas that we could go back to the script right before the shoot and change around a few details to really suit the, the characteristics of the characters even more to the actors we had cast.
2: So you put together a little bit of an actor's studio for the people who you who may not have <laughs> obviously been uh, been as uh, experienced as the others were.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to, yeah. to directing uh, performers. I mean, one person might just be very, very insecure about certain scenes and I want that person to come forward with that and then we can train that one scene mm-hmm. and explore that uh, away from the pressures of the set. Another uh, performer might just have a really hard time remembering lines and we would do some exercises to... To try to come up with ways of of uh, of learning that i mean I was really trying to be very pragmatic about it and and to make them feel confident. It's really tough. Imagine, I mean, one of the guys in the, in the group of friends that you see in the film, one of the actors, Paul Stocker, who plays Guyer, he, he basically, we found him in a record store. I mean, he was working there. He'd never thought about being in films at all. And we just thought he looked cool, and we took him in. And, and he actually, he was really funny and, and you know, a charismatic, nice guy. And, but imagine going from working behind the counter in a record store and then the moment, next moment you're on a film set with the 40 people around you all <laughs> concentrating on that one line you got to deliver. I mean, it's a tremendous transition and a, and a big pressure. And it's important for me that they felt that I was a friend and a support and that they knew me and felt confidence before they were in set.
0: I've got to say, too, uh, we're, we're talking about them being amateurs and, and not having acting experience. But they did wonderful jobs. If I didn't read, you know, the promotional material and know this, I could assume that all these people had, you know, a decade of acting experience. Oh, wonderful.
1: I'll, I'll say that. You say, I'll tell them. I'll tell them. It's yeah, a did. big compliment. Thank well,
0: you. Well, uh, thank you. I, it just looked wonderful, and and the acting seemed very genuine, too. That's what I what I loved about it. There was no, um, well, you're in Hollywood, so I won't say that it was too much like Hollywood. <laughs> uh, it was a very it, natural performance yeah. to these,
2: It's easy to believe that they were all friends, and... They all had their own characteristics that were brought up in that group dynamic. This is your first feature film. Yeah. What experience prior to putting together a feature film did you have?
1: I've shot films, or little films, all kinds of films since I was... Skateboarding um, films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah, I mean, since before I could write. I mean, as a kid, I grew up in a sort of filmmaking family with a grandfather that was a film director, and both my parents working... um, my father would sound, and my mother as a documentary filmmaker. So I kind of I tried out Super 8 cameras and video cameras, and I always filmed. And I did a lot of skateboard movies as I was a I was a sponsored skater in my teens. I did a lot of skateboard movies and started exploring uh, fiction work. In when I was around 20, mm-hmm. and then as a 23 year old, I went to the National Film and TV School. I got into the fiction direct, directing course there in, in the UK. And uh, did a lot of short films, and did the, so, so I, I mean I've done all kinds of things really, and I, I feel that Reprise is um, the first feature, but it's a continuation, uh, not only of of, uh, of of making films, but also of a collaboration with people I've had from before, from the short films. I uh, Eskil Fucht and I have have been writing short films together for a long time. Um, my editor Olivier, I worked with on several. Short films, and the same goes for Jakob Ira, the wonderful cinematographer I worked with. I mean, we've done a lot of both commercials and and short films together. So, mm-hmm. it's it's a continuation of col- uh, collaborative pro, you know, group of people.
2: What's interesting about what you're describing, as as we speak with a lot of uh, so-called independent film directors, is that uh, it seems to me one of the keys to success is gathering around you people that you're not only comfortable with, but you work you work well together, and you have uh, a, an understanding, sort of an an unspoken understanding of how things are going to progress. Has that been your experience with the people that you've worked with on this film?
1: Absolutely, that's actually very well put. I think that's exactly the point. I, having explored and having shorthands with with what what things you find aesthetically inspiring and interesting, I knew how my editor uh, worked, and I, I know about his. Particular talents for juggling time layering in terms of dialogue scenes. This is something we've been exploring before in short films, and I knew I could shoot in certain ways and end up with with uh, great results. Shooting for that process with him, if you see what I mean. The <laughs> same with the, the the cinematographer Jacob. I uh, we we're good friends. We went to film school together in London. We both we both, both had a, a mixed fascination for. You know, one moment we would watch uh, Andrei Tarkovsky and, and feel that that was the most important thing in the world. And the next moment there would be a Brian De Palma movie that was more, you know, uh, what, what we were interested in. I think we've gone through all these phases together.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of which, are there a sort of touchstone films or filmmakers uh, mm-hmm. that that you
0: would... Recommend
2: to yes, us, recommend,
1: yeah. <laughs> recommend. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, recommend. There's so many goodness. Uh, I, I okay. for for a prize, I mean, I think there were um, several things. Just to narrow it down to what was very relevant to this film, I think uh, Nicholas Rogue, wow. um, yeah, yeah. the British director, Don't Look Now, in yes. particular, is a very inspiring film. I think a lot of the French New Wave, uh, especially um, Alain René, Hiroshima Mon Amour, and last year at Marine uh-huh. uh, um Chris Marker. Uh, Godard's Masculin Feminin was very inspiring. Woody Allen's Annie Hall was a big inspiration. I think that's Ah. one of my all-time favorites in terms of doing something that's actually very sincere and complex, yet very humorous, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of different films. But I I mean, there's a whole sort of... All those films about young people that took young people serious. The Last Picture Show. You know, uh, Breakfast Club. <laughs> A lot of films, that particularly American movies, that weren't condescending about the, the problems of, of of people trying to find their way in early uh, or young adult life. You know, I think I think those films have been inspiring for this one.
0: Now, here we are almost at the end of the interview, and we haven't really mentioned anything about uh, the plot or the setup to this at all, (laughs) which I find interesting. But it is about two friends who are are submitting their manuscripts for consideration. Uh, One of them seems to be successful, the other one not as successful. And just the relationship between the two of them. Did you always have two people in mind, and were they always uh, in your mind proposing literary uh, work rather than anything else? Was that their measure of success?
1: I think, you know, our main focus for this film was always trying to really uh, show uh, the, the ups and downs of friendship uh-huh. and, and how formative and how important friendships are are in our lives. Uh, there's so many films about boy meets girl and does he or does he not get her or something. You know, I, that, there's a story like that in the reprise as well with Carrie and Philip, but it's more about can they manage to to recreate or reconstruct a relationship that's fallen apart, which I sometimes think is more heart-wrenching and and more interesting. But to be honest with you, um, yeah, the friendship was always in center. I think this literary milieu, this mixture of people who are, on one hand, very intellectual and, on the other hand, kind of childish and silly and joking, I think I wanted to show that life is ultimately more complex than just one or the other. And I think that literature came into it. A lot of people say, oh, it's a film about writing books. It's not really about writing books. It's more about having a shared ambition and a dream, yeah. and what happens when, when one of two good friends don't have that dream anymore. Um, and I think that's more of a metaphor than being particularly about... It's not about Sitting, watching people sitting writing books, you know, that wouldn't be fun to look at.
0: Oh, no, not at all. I, I especially like the, the interviews, too, that uh, they went on, the, the television interviews. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah there, there's a lot of great humor in that, a yeah. lot of wonderful texture in the film, too. There's, there's a, uh, editing between the uh, person who's being interviewed at this one station who has an electronic voice box. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it immediately cuts to a, a vibrating phone. Yeah, which yeah, which yeah, I, okay. I well, and, and, and then it's just, it just, and just then, fine. I, I got a laugh, and at the same time, got a little chill. And there's good. this relationship with the uh,
2: the famous author that they both are uh, that they both admire tremendously. And this film, it, it's true to its title. There's a lot of going back and revisiting these these relationships and reprising them, and or bringing bringing new life and and new dynamics to them. And that's mm-hmm. and that's something that the film uh, does a tremendously good job of. I want to thank you so much for being here, Joachim uh, Trier. The film is Reprise. It will be this week starting on Friday at the Landmark Theater in uh, West Los Angeles and rolling out to various theaters the following week. So thank you for being here, and all the best to you.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a great pleasure.
0: To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at kuci.org slash filmschool.